Crosby Loggins is no stranger to Inside Music Cast. Since our 2007 interview, his world has changed and for the better. After winning MTV's Rock the Cradle competition and a national record deal with Jive Records, Crosby wasted no time in working on his new album, Time to Move, scheduled to release on July 14th. And although the 28-year-old Loggins reveals plenty of modern tastes, ranging from the grunge-era rock of his formative years to present-day indie faves, Time to Move was designed with a nod to an earlier era, using a vintage and organic approach. Inside MusicCast welcomes back Crosby Loggins. Hey Crosby, thanks for taking time out to talk to us again. Hey you guys, how you doing? Good. Good. Hey, you know, the, the first time we interviewed you was back in April of 2007, and at that time, you, you were just finishing your first album called We All Go Home. I think you were kind of in the mastering phase. So, uh, so much has happened over the course of the past couple of years, and one of the biggest highlights, I'm sure, being the fact that you won the Rock the Cradle competition on MTV. And, you know, I was just curious, you know, I mean, I understand the premise of the show, but how did you get involved with that? Mm-hmm. Um, the producers actually approached me, um, and... They were calling my management and calling me. Mm-hmm. We kind of get we kind of get biannual reality competition or reality show uh-huh. you know, offers. I think, especially at that point, <laughs> since, since Rock the Cradle, not so much. But um, yeah, there's. I think there was a lot of people out there trying to put together a show with this kind of premise, mm-hmm. and we never were interested in any of it. Um, by we, I mean my my group and my manager and stuff at, at the time. And so um, I've always kind of. Uh, I don't, I don't like reality TV yet. I don't like to see, really. But um, it was a huge opportunity. So mm-hmm. I think I made the right choice. Yeah, well, definitely. And, uh, you know, you were up against several other offspring of MTV generation artists, such as, you know, I'll name a few here, like Jesse Blaze Snyder. He was the son of, uh, or is the son of Dee Snyder from Twisted Sister. And there was Chloe Latanzi, the daughter of Olivia Newton-John, uh, Akiba Burrell. Daughter of MC Hammer, there was Laura Johnston of uh, uh, Tom Johnston from the Doobie Brothers, Lucy Walsh. She was the daughter of Joe Walsh, and there were several others. And I, I guess you could describe the the contest as you know similar to like an American Idol type of show where you 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 know you have to perform, go before judges for criticism, and then garner votes from viewers. And when it was all said and done, you emerged the winner. And, and tell us a little bit about your overall experience on that show. Well, you know, like to be totally candid about it, my overall experience on the show was a little nerve wracking because. I'm not the kind of person who kind of came up and thought, man, if I, you know, only had one break and, you know, the only way I could ever make it into the music business is if I, like, went on a show like Idol or something. I really never felt that way. I was pursuing a career myself and mm-hmm. never thought that, you know, going on TV was the way to kind of get in there right. on, a better, on a bigger level. So the whole thing was kind of more of an exercise in not getting cut too early so that yeah. you would your own career in the foot. <laughs> so from that point of view, because I already had something to lose, you know, yeah, I, it was pretty nerve wracking. Um, but I also didn't really, you know, I was. I think I initially anticipated it um, kind of being a lot bigger, like the size of Idol. And that's not to scoff at you know playing for three million people or whatever. Is no, um, yeah, you're right. You know, yeah, nothing to chuckle at. But still, if Idol, you know, has a three million viewer night, they cancel the show. <laughs> you <know? laughs> you're right. Say yeah. <laughs> two twenty twenty million on an off night. So. Um, it kind of ended up, I, at first I thought it could be one of those things where I could just get a certain level of exposure, and if I got cut early, it wouldn't really matter. I could keep on pursuing my career, and it w- wouldn't be that big a deal. And then I realized, because the show was smaller, that I'd better, you know, do pretty well, or win, or get close to winning. Yeah. Right. So um, it kind of changed the way that I was approaching it. But it was, uh, a lot of people think that it looked fun. I'm glad that, that it looked that way, but it was not the first word that would come to mind, I think, when yeah. I think about this. 
kind yeah. of a show. Right. Well, you know, it, you know, editing is everything, as we all know in uh, in entertainment business. But I do have one question as to you know, um, you know, your commitment to rock the cradle. That must have taken so much out of your life. I mean, so much time. In reality, did it really take? How much did you really have to concentrate on for the show during this whole duration? Did you have to like take a hiatus of what you were doing and just like concentrate totally on it? How, how much commitment did you really have to do? Honestly, really, uh, it was like total. <laughs> Kind of, kind of total sacrifice for the thing. Really, really, wow, yeah. I mean, which is, I mean, it's almost embarrassing to say that because some of it just seems so jubbly. But um, no, cause it, it was just, uh, it was kind of a twenty four seven commitment for yeah. you know the few months while I was involved in production. A couple months, like the, the six weeks leading up to it, um, really, you know, kind of cranking up and mm-hmm. clearing material and meeting with producers on a regular basis about sure. you know. Cause we fought, I fought a lot harder than your average, you know, idle contestant to uh-huh. get contracts kind of changed in our, in our favor, to get, um, you know, to have some le- more leeway with our song choices during the, the broadcast. So, you know, I mean, you saw that when I was playing like Elvis Costello songs on MTV. <laughs> it's like kind of a, a stretch, and that took a lot <laughs> of meetings, like constant stuff. But yeah, I was kind of always in it. Yeah. And as soon as we'd walk off stage, it was tons of press. And then kind of thinking about how we were going to do something different next week that would you know, keep us in it. So. Yeah. So, you know, when you, when you finished a performance and, and then you faced the panel of judges, um, how open to you were, were you to their suggestions? I mean, did their criticism, good or bad, have an effect on the way you attacked your next performance? Yeah, it did. You know, I, at first I kind of thought that I might sort of slough them off and, and let them say whatever they needed to say for their television audience. but. Uh-huh. And that's what I thought, like, that's a cheating experience and not really showing up for, you know, what I could take away from it personally. So, yeah, I tried to take, I tried to heed what, what they were saying. And I felt like a certain portion of where they were coming from was stuff that I'll never really be into and a certain portion of what they were saying was stuff that I should have gotten into a long time ago. It was kind of an interesting concept. I mean, I don't want to keep comparing it to American Idol, but you have, you had a, like a select group of, of people that came to it. I don't know how many there were that started. There were 10 or 12 uh performers but you you all came from sort of a different background yeah. you, know, you know you have the jesse snyder who was it was more of a you know or just a straight up you know 80s style rocker you know you had you know akiba who was just she had an amazing soulful voice and then you you had you came from more of the the poppy sort of folk uh you know sort of you know that sort of realm so everybody had their own style but yet it was called rock the cradle and i always right. got the feeling during the show that you know the, the whole idea was to go out there and rock you know as hard as you could <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they were just looking for something to to rock, and but you had, uh, you know, I think each one of those performers are kind of good in their own style, but it was I think there was like sort of a a directive to kind of hit one's particular style, and that being rock. Well, you know, the, I, to me, it was less about the like the genre aspect of that. Uh-huh. I mean, although there's definitely skewed that way. Yeah. Um, but it, it was more about just kind of you know bringing a lot of energy. I mean, I never left the title. <laughs> <laughs> at all, to be honest. It's one of the main things that's sort of driving me away in the, in the beginning, but it is what it is, and you just, you know, you wear it uh, the best you can. But I think that it was really about energetic performances at the end of the day and about connecting with an audience and moreover connecting with the audience at home. Yeah. That was really the crucial thing, and I think it's complicated performing on stage, and especially in, a sta- in, a, in an uh, audience like that, which isn't like... Um, say, a seated, you know, award show hall audience or right. where it's here to play to the cameras and you know that's what you're there to do. There's like, you know, thousands of 
really screaming little girls, like, right. crowd, like yelling, like, inordinately loud because they've been instructed to as well. So. Show up card, <laughs> applause, scream. You know? <laughs> exactly, there's applause lights flashing over your head and you're trying to be cordial and like that. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was, it was a trip, man. I mean, I, I was not raised in, you know, I, I was not raised around TV. Yeah, so yeah. I, I know of a lot of that stuff, but I didn't have direct experience with any of it. And um, so you know, learning curve, but it was a, it was a pretty unique experience. Sure, I found it pretty pretty interesting that the involvement of the actual artists or the cast's uh, parents were involved. So uh, your dad, how did <laughs> what was his opinion of the whole thing? Because he'd come in and he'd uh, lend his opinion sometimes, you know. Oh man, he was just flabbergasted. That was whole it? thing. Really? Yeah, he did, <laughs> he was like, "This is insane! You're out of your mind! What are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> I can't begin to offer advice at the Grammys. They tell us who's playing next, and they let us have water first, you know, and um, just weird, weird things. It was just very much not, uh, <laughs> you know, in line with his experience. Yeah. And, did he ever say? Did he ever say quit, get off the show, or were you committed contra- contractually? <laughs> no, you know, you're not. I mean, you're not really committed. And it, it's, it's, it's you're committed contractually on a certain level, but it's. <laughs> Definitely a loose contract. If you flipped out and walked off, they'd be like, well, okay, that's what we eliminated this week. Uh, they, they'd probably like that. There'd be a whole reality scene behind that. Yeah. Oh, you know, it's like they don't, they don't want anybody to go totally nuts and fly off the handle and trash a dressing room, but it's better television. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I love uh, that. They're not going to exactly, you know, call the fire marshal if it starts to go down. Um, but, yeah, I mean, my dad didn't know what to say about it. He he was too scared to look. He was sitting in the in the dressing room singing, you know, Winnie the Pooh to himself and drinking tequila, <laughs> <laughs> rocking himself. To the rocking himself, <laughs> yes, rocking the cradle. That's good. Well, you know, this this turned out to be kind of an interesting subplot of the show. But there was uh, there was definitely some friction there between. You know Jesse Blaze Snyder and yourself during the course of the show, and in fact, I don't, I don't really think you had a problem with Jesse from the outset. But he, he, you know, for some, whatever reason, was pretty vocal when it came to his criticisms about you. And you know, I have my own thoughts about why this started. But what do you feel sparked that? I, I just think that just the nature of the television show. You know, he he wasn't really like a malicious, um, spirited guy backstage at all. He he just, uh, you know, he got a camera in his face and got an opportunity to talk some smack and you know, off the ante a little bit. Yeah. I, I didn't really take it personally. I wasn't like, oh, Jesse just talking. I mean, it, we were all expected to kind of, when, when push came to shove a few rounds in, we are expected to start to you know, get a little bit more real about yeah. you know, who we think should win this thing. And, and <clears throat> I, I don't have a super competitive spirit. So in general, you know, because I've grown up around so many, like, groups of musicians, and especially in the singer-songwriter scene, uh-huh. tendency to want to try to defeat some of the com- competitive vibe and, yeah. and has camaraderie about it. Um, it, it. There's a whole sense that that'll hold you back or something if you do that, and I think that's really bogus. You know, we, we all really learn from one another, and we're, we're strengthened by one another's strengths, and that's just the nature of like the, the musical community. Mm-hmm. But it's very much different, and... Um, and I found myself getting a little spiky myself a few times. You know, a few <laughs> spiky. Days, like, Wait a minute, man. You write comic books, dude. I'm a musician. Let's get real here. I'm gonna, oh, I kind of want to be yes, but um, 
<laughs> it, doesn't it sort of counterflow, countercurrent against the, the you know the 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 big picture of what music is supposed to be? Hey, music is music. Make people happy. You know, enjoy. Make your message, and then to show it, you know, it's almost like having a you know WWF with music. You know, I'm like, I'm like you sort okay. of tr- turn it around and make it competitive to the point that you know just for ratings that type of thing. I think it's sort of countercurrent, but anyway, they made it what it was. You know. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it, the, the, what was going on there really was a, was a natural sort of stylistic, you know, battle that's just been going on for yeah. a long time, and it, you can pick different moments. It wasn't just hair metal versus James Taylor, you know, there's a lot of different moments <laughs> in, uh, in music where that was sort of like, you know, going on, and uh, so, it, you know, I think it was a natural, and, and especially today, you know, music is as much entertainment as it is music, in the music business anyway, and... um like it or hate it, you know, that's the part you got to contend with. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, relevant. Well, the good news is, is, and ironically, the ending of the show couldn't have worked out any more perfectly. I know you and you and Jesse were the two final contestants, and and you ultimately won out. Congratulations! And and having won Rock the Cradle, I believe you were awarded a record con- contract and a, and a pretty sizable cash prize. And and I was just curious, though, what other opportunities has winning that contest or that, that show afforded you? Um, mostly meeting cool folks and like writing with cool folks that uh-huh. I wouldn't have had a chance to probably otherwise. Yeah. Um. And that's largely a function of the big record deal and, you know, having an opportunity to get heard. So people who are really, you know, all business most of the time will, will stop, slow down for a second and give you a, shan- a chance. And um, But also partially just getting people's attention and having a lot more connections and speaking yeah. to a lot, of, a lot of folks around L.A. So I got to write with Babyface a little bit. Very yeah, cool. You know, I was like stylistically a little out of left field, some people might think, but... um. He's actually written with my father in the past, and he's a tremendously versatile artist. Mm-hmm. So, he, he's uh, Eddie, and I are here in Indianapolis, and uh, he's an Indianapolis native. Oh, cool! He went, I didn't to, know that. he went to school here. He even has a highway here named after him. Way, yeah. He's uh, he's super cool, and he plays upside down and backwards too when he plays guitar. So that was a challenge to try yeah. to follow along with him when we were writing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I got to work with producer John Alasia on the record, and that was really cool for me because I um, was really influenced by Dave Matthews' first record, and mm-hmm. and likewise by John Mayer's first record. Yeah, um, and he produced both those albums, so I've I've been actually you know seeing his producer credit on records for quite some time. And when somebody threw his name out as an option to produce the record, I was kind of giddy and going, "Well, I mean, yeah, if he's available, sure, whatever. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, hey, you know, if you can get him in here." Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah, meanwhile, I'm like kissing in the in, the, in my pants. I, I was it was really it was, that was really really cool. And also, like he just finished working on a record with Brett Denon, um, who's a singer songwriter that I I've yeah. actually known and like opened up for once or twice through the years mm-hmm. in the Tri County area while I was in Santa Barbara. But um, now he's doing really well. His career's kind of taken off. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, and um, I'm a big fan of his mm-hmm. writing. He's got such a natural and honest style. So he was just hanging around because the village recorder where we were working in L.A. is just a really cool studio, and I don't think anybody really wants to leave when they finish an album. And uh, <laughs> he was still just kind of hanging around the studio and hanging with John. And um, so we got a chance to work together a bunch, and then um, and then John Mayer popped his head in during the recording of the record and cut um, the solo on the title track for the record. Yeah, that's right, on Time to Move, right? Yeah. yeah, and that just kind of happened, too, because, I mean, he knows Alasia, and he has a room next door at the village, and he pop his head in from time to time, and 
steal our beer and whatever. He called. He, he referred to himself like the Kramer of the Seinfeld apartment. That is the, the <laughs> lost. <laughs> funny. But it was all in all, it was, it was a really good experience. You know. So was it basically through that uh, peeking his head in that the contact was made? Was that your your suggestion to to get John on the project, or was that a combination of uh, you and the label? No, there was no label movement from that at all. That was totally organic. That's wow. cool. That's cool. Credit for it, honestly. Like I went to the kitchen to get a muffin. My guitar player was the one that conned him into it. Really? I really can't take a hundred percent credit. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I literally walked out of the room for a minute while John was hanging out with everybody, and John was just kind of eking out with my guitar player and um, well, plays everything for me. But my buddy Jesse Siebenberg, and um, he was taking some solos, and they were just geeking out on the gear that he was using, and and Jesse just kind of went. Well, you're John Mayer, man. Why don't you take a path? Yeah. <laughs> he did, and it was great. So. Well, like you mentioned a second ago, your, your new album called Time to Move was produced by uh, John Alasia. You know, and like you said, who has an incredible resume, you know, including, you know, Dave Matthews Band, John Mayer, yeah, Jason Mraz, OAR, uh, one of my favorite bands, the Ben Folds Five, and so many more. And yeah. What, what was – tell me about John a little bit, John Alasia, that is. What was he able to bring out of you and your performances that, that, that might have surprised you a little bit? Did he, did he take you outside of your comfort zone? Working with John is just a kind of a Jedi experience. I don't, most Any other producer I've ever worked with, like, you sort of notice <laughs> when they're trying to get something to happen. Uh-huh. Or they say it to you a little bit more clearly, you know, hey, we're going for this, or could you try that? Mm-hmm. John was just always going – yeah, good, more, yeah, good, more. You know, he's just kind of <laughs> always just driving the ship on, and it was very rarely that he would kind of specifically say, hey, let's try this one section a little bit more inside, or let's try this, you know, mm-hmm. see if you got more from me here. He was just pretty much always going, great job, keep going, you know. Yeah. And that was like a style of production that I think is also a little bit of a lost art, because he just has an uncanny level of positivity and an uncanny level of, um, I don't know, faith in the recording process. It never right. felt like anything was forced. It was always like we were just hanging out in the studio and having cool. a tremendous work done. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that's neat. You know, your album, Time to Move, which is the new one, of course, it's due out on July 14th. Um, is this going to be distributed nationally, uh, worldwide distribution? What, what hybrid, online, you know, what, what, what do you know about the distribution and what's going to happen with the record? Well, because it's Jive Records, it'll definitely be nationally distributed gotcha. and, and comprehensively so, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Best Buy, Amazon, all the all the usual online outlets. That's great. Um, I don't believe we're going forward with any kind of international distro at this point. It's mm-hmm. just going to be the Yeah. Right yeah, it was a little bit of luck that might pick up later in the year. Absolutely. Hey, Crosby, I, I know that this album project was sort of born out of the fact that you won Rock the Cradle, and, of course, you were awarded the contract from Jive Records, but when exactly did you sign a contract with them? I mean, was it just shortly after winning Rock the Cradle? And I'm curious to know also, how quickly did they want you to start creating songs for this record? Well, I actually um, went to the Jive Records offices in L.A. the following morning uh-huh. after the show at, like, 9 in the morning, so we kind of got it going right away. Wow. We had a meeting, um, and I met my new A&R guy, and he expressed to me at that meeting that he wanted to, you know, he was curious if I was open to including a couple of the songs from my previous record uh-huh. um, on this new one, reworking them or something that he liked them quite a bit. And I kind of went, well, I hadn't intended on doing that, but if you really like them, mm-hmm. yeah, why not? And then kind of started, you know, suggesting, hey, do you want to you want to write with, you want to co-write with some folks in L.A. that you might not, you know, know or have had the chance to, you know, have written with before and I kind of immediately said yes you know jumped to that opportunity so I started meeting up with 
new folks and, and writing songs, both people that I mentioned earlier in the interview and then other folks that you wouldn't probably recognize their names but are great writers mm-hmm. in, in L.A. And, and did that for a while, wrote on my own, wrote with old friends like Glenn Phillips and um, Catherine Shore, songwriters from my area. Mm-hmm. So um, started developing content right away, but really kind of took time with it. Didn't really settle on the master batch of songs of like 30-some-odd songs until... Right. Um, I want to say, you know, um, getting after the summer, actually, like into the fall last year. And Uh so we entered production uh, on the album in October Mm -hmm. last year and finished up around December. Actually, there's a little bit of a hiatus there. One of my homes burned down, my my family's home in Santa Barbara. So I had to take about a month off and help them sort of put their life back together. Oh, really? I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's it's all good. It it all ended just fine. So, but um, anyway... Yeah, so we finished up in January. We were supposed to finish in December, but that's kind of the basic of the timetable. Yeah, when you mentioned that you picked up a couple of the, the orig- your um, your tracks from the previous album, me and Rick noticed quite uh, very quickly that Good Enough, obviously a, a track that we were very familiar with from the previous album, um, yeah. was it has a new, fresh sound to it. And, uh, you know, as as much as we loved your, your the other arrangement, I mean, I personally, I, I dig this, and it's, it's a different song altogether, even some of the chord progressions. And uh, yeah. and it, it's neat. How, how did, uh, uh, specifically speaking about Good Enough, how did you work the arrangement, and was John involved with that? And, and uh, what, what were your ideas that you had in, on reinventing that song? Well, you know... The, that was, it's such a trip. Like, that song is kind of like, that's the sort of thing you just don't really do. Yeah. Kind of a no-no, you know, release a song in its entirety, have it be kind of a fan favorite even, right. yeah. and then just totally rewrite it and <laughs> try to <laughs> do it again. You're exactly, like, oh, right. I don't know. That's just a really weird, but um, I think basically the bottom line is again and again, against the other songs that are coming up for the record and people inside the label and, um, and also friends, you know, just always have loved that song and they're like, just I don't know. Keep going. My my NR guy originally just said, "Hey, um, you want to try including even a, a bigger chorus?" To this yeah, because it's kind of a chorusless song, and, and that and that was kind of intentional in the original right. version. And, and so um, I kind of kicked around some ideas. It's hard to rewrite a song that you've had for a long time. Yeah. Um, and and so I brought it into some sessions of co-writing with some friends, and we just started to develop and I actually worked with Brett Dennon a bit on it to just kind of get more at the heart of what I originally wanted to say. And, mm-hmm. and then it just kind of took on a new voice. Like it was that song meant what it meant to, you know, three years ago. Mm-hmm. Really, I wrote, I wrote it quite a, quite a while ago. It's probably been 10 years already. Um, and you know, this one means what it means now. So mm-hmm. I really honestly think of them as kind of different songs, yeah. but it was interesting and, and worrisome a little bit for me to see how my fans are going to react and be like, well, I don't think, you know, I don't like it more. And there's always going to be people, people that say that, but I'm pretty sure that's a it's a it's a cooler <laughs> version. Yeah. It certainly rocks a lot harder, and it's it's a lot of fun. You know, I I agree with you. I think for this body of work that the new album "Time to Move" represents, I feel that your approach on that song really fits into the body of of this yeah. work better. I, I don't think that the old version would have really fit in with this body of work, but I think there's a there's a nice yeah. co- cohesiveness of sound here that that uh, I think you did a really good job with. So that's cool. Well, thanks. I mean, that's something that wasn't wasn't. Um, a goal on the last album. Mm-hmm. I wasn't trying to make a cohesive trip. We were trying to make as much of a you know an iPod on shuffle kind yeah. of within the genres that we like and the kinds of stuff that we we were into at the time um, as we could. And then this one is exactly the opposite. I was really trying to to focus and yeah. like pull things together under one sure. one roof. Yeah. You know, 
<clears throat> I think I really did a cool job of that. There's a lot of it still moves around enough to keep my own interest, you know. Yep. yep. But it um it has it's, it's clear that it's all from one artist. Yep. Well, thanks to Crosby and uh, the guys at his management, we have an advanced copy here of the new album, Time to Move. So let's uh, take a quick break and hear a sample of the newly arranged version of Good Enough from today's guest, Crosby Loggins. a sample of Good Enough from today's guest, Crosby Loggins. That's great. You know, of course, as we discussed during our, in our interview with you in April of 2007, your band at that time consisted of Paul Cartwright, Dennis Hamm, Jared Pope, Forrest Williams, and, and Jesse Siebenberg. And were any of these uh, talented players involved in this new record? Yeah, actually. Um, Jesse played guitars on a lot of the record. Um, he actually came to the original um, basic tracking sessions. And then uh, Dennis, the keyboard player from the album, I mean, from uh, from the last band, uh-huh. came in and played uh, a solo on um, a cool song near the end of the album called "You Want to Be with Me," and it's like this barrel house piano solo thing. So I really wanted to pull him in because he's like God, one of the best players I've ever mm-hmm. worked with. Ever. Yeah. Um, and uh, <clears throat> mostly went with you know a band full of people that John Alasia pulled in because it was a great opportunity to work with some new folks that I hadn't met before. 
Uh-huh. My band was really cool about that. They were also gracious about it. Yeah. Can you name some of those players? Uh, yeah, Matt Chamberlain came and played drums. Mm-hmm. Um, bass player's name is Sean Hurley. He's played a lot with John Mayer, actually, also. Uh-huh. Uh, he's been playing in his live band lately. And then um, a keyboard player named Zach Ray, um, who's played with Donald Barkley and, and started with Alanis Morissette. And then... Um, the and then Jesse played guitars on a lot of it, and then like Michael Chavez, who did a lot of, um, he's done a lot of work for Elijah. He's an incredible guitar player. Came in and did a lot of um, another layer of guitars, and yeah. mm-hmm. um, and also another gu- guitarist named Mark Goldenberg came in and did a couple of songs. Cool. Um, who's like he's really kind of like a Jackson Brown the Section era cat. He's been yeah. recorded tremendously. So I mean, meeting all those guys was was uh, really cool for me because I, I know their work. More than they know mine, I'm sure. <laughs> so your your first single uh, from Time to Move, I think this is your first single. is called Seriously, right? Yeah. Uh, it was. It was. What was the inspiration behind this song, and how many, or how and why was this particular song chosen to be your first single? Well, you know, as far as the ch- the single selection process, that's really done by the radio department, the label, and, and the thing that they feel is the most marketable and, and the best, like first look um, mm-hmm. at my music for a bigger audience, but. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as like the inception of the song, I've been kicking around an idea that was a little bit more complex at the time, or at least I thought so, that just kind of about um, being in a good relationship, being in the kind of relationship that you, you know, you've always thought you wanted to be in, mm-hmm. but sort of realizing that for whatever reason, your baggage doesn't fit in the overhead compartment anyway, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and trying to kind of reconcile why you won't, you know, let yourself move to the next, to the next level, uh-huh. and then... Um, and then it kind of simplified it a little bit into um, its current its current form, which is a little bit more like um, you know you you just uh, you know either to me it's, it could be a couple of different situations. It could be a close friend mm-hmm. um, that you know you you want to be there for um, on almost a romantic level, but you just don't feel romantically involved at all. Or it could also just be a romance that you know you take more lightly than the other person, basically. But right. um, it's it's fairly universal, I would think. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a good song too. I like the melody line quite a bit. So. When is it set to be released? I know the album comes out July fourteenth, but uh, when will that single start hitting the air? That's yeah, that's actually already in process right now. Okay, so it's already been it's already being pitched to radio, and uh-huh. it's been getting um, ads slowly through mostly smaller markets. But there's been some um, recent activity, like down in San Diego and some other places, that, that's kind of exciting. So. I'm actually waiting to hear later today a little bit more about the state of the radio game. And But, you know, in general, with these kinds of songs and with, you know, the kind of artist that I am, these things can take some time. Um, a lot of the big hits from artists like Matt, Matt Nathanson and even The Fray and stuff like that have taken a year or more yeah. um, at radio before they really took off, but sometimes they go quicker. And it's really, um, that's really a world that I never, like, uh, spent time thinking or playing toward, you know, in my life. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm just kind of like trying to do my thing and, and hope that, that the label is able to find a place where it fits, you know. Sure. Yeah, I can understand that. I, obviously, there's there's a whole new element. It's the grassroots element of uh, of uh, people passing music and recommending music and that type of thing. So the process is a lot slower these days because of obviously uh, budgets of, of of big albums and they're just not there like they used to be. And it just you just sort of I have to slow grow a song as it goes on. So that, that's really cool. 
Now let's take another quick break and take a listen to the first single from Crosby's new album, Time to Move. This is Seriously. From today's Inside Music cast guest, Crosby Loggins. You mentioned a while ago that the third track on the album is the title track called "Time to Move," and and that song, like you said, features that guitar solo by John Mayer. And you you mentioned a little bit about John, but uh, was that the first time you had actually interacted with John, or had you had any experience with him before? I met him um, quite a while ago. Actually, I met him briefly um, at the beginning of his solo career taking off, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and I've bumped into him a couple times through the years, and he's always been a really nice guy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, I don't know him real well, but mm-hmm. you know we're acquaintances. He knows he knows who I am, and I certainly know who he is. So. Yeah, 
The first time I saw him perform was in a was in a record store, and there were fifty people there, and he was just he and a guitar, and yeah. uh, and I, and it's it's been really interesting watching his career take off. You know, uh, it's yeah, he, I mean, <laughs> he's had some huge success. Each time I see him play again, the next time it's in a bigger venue. <laughs> so, I know, pretty nuts. Hey Crosby, how how long did it take for him before he uh, really felt the vibe of the, of the track "Time to Move"? Um, how long did it take to him for him to nail it? He, he kicked it around for a little bit. He yeah. probably took like eight or ten takes altogether. Mm-hmm. He tried, you know. He's just playing around with it. I liked his approach to it. Yeah. He wasn't like trying to like, okay, I'll get it perfect. You mm-hmm. know, he's just trying to find out, mess with it, find some cool melody lines, find a good way to be lyrical about it. His playing is really, really musical. So yeah, he wasn't really sweating that, you know. And uh, he tried a couple different approaches, and then ultimately ended up ditching his pick and going for finger picking, sort of Jeff Becky technique uh-huh. by him. And um, and that was, you know, I love that approach. Mm-hmm. For me, like one of the reasons to have his solo on the record was that um, I was trying to like you know get the sonic touches of a lot of the you know like, kind of guitarists that affected me. Mm-hmm. The basic sounds there are like you know Jeff Beck and um, but even like David Lindley or like you know um, uh, Adam spacing out Fleetwood Mac, um, Lindsey Buckingham, Buckingham, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, but. Um, I managed to get like a Schofieldy kind of like moment on uh-huh. one song. I felt like I managed to get a, a Jeff Becky solo on one spot, and then just like straight up kind of like almost edge like U two like rock yeah. uh-huh. thing in another spot. So I mean, it's like it was more about the sonic touchstones, like trying to drive you know younger fans. You know, my hope for this record would be if I accidentally was able to drive some younger fans back to some Jackson Brown records or some, yeah. you know those old things cut by the section and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I just you know that it's it's very sort of silly and self indulgent wishful thinking, but I, I I think that was sort of like my reason for including those flourishes. You know? Sure, yeah, Eddie, let's. Uh, I got an idea. Let's spoil our audience even more. <laughs> Here's a sample of the title track from the album "Time to Move," which is set to be released tomorrow, July 14th. I'm bouncing off the walls tonight, drunken heart, sunken eyes. It's 3 a.m. I'm tangled up over you. Lying on a burning bed I think too much It hurts my head But there's a light That's shining through I left you lonely If I could only have a chance to prove I could love you for who you are Do you feel you're giving something But getting nothing It's time to move I've had time enough to know Change my mind I can show you I'll be true If you could just take me back I'm not about to give up yet If there's a chance I won't
was the title track from Crosby Loggins' new album, Time to Move. You know, one of the tracks that me and uh, Rick, just in fact, just prior to this interview, uh, we were just uh, sort of digging into the the Heaven Help Me uh, track. And you know, you know what we loved about it is at the very end of the song, it just just jams for the last minute and a half, and it just gets yeah. funky. And I mean, that is such a, a smooth little thing. I'm like, oh, thank thank God, I love that kind that of. That has interview. a nice groove. Oh yeah, thank you. That was a that was a choice I I got. To- I fight for it for a second. I was like, no, nah, man, we're jamming here. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I oh. just wanted to have a little fun. Try the record need to breathe for a second. And oh, yeah. That's how we used to make music a lot. Our band was um, very, you know, arranged around tight arrangements, but we'd always like to like, let go and oh, get yeah. reformed some point or other so yeah the drum track was superb on that by the way the mix oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that, the, the drum track was amazing and uh, I dig that track that's actually like some of my friends like my girlfriend and stuff's favorite cut from the record it sort of grows on you so yeah. you know, well what did, speaking of, your girlfriend has that as her favorite track that's my favorite track what's your album. girlfriend's name by what's, the way what's <laughs> uh, her name's Brooke hi Brooke well, you going to give her a call, Eddie? No, I'm not. Even. I'm a married man. Come on. I just wanted to say I was being courteous, okay? I'm sorry, Crosby. I mean, Crosby's going to come up and beat my butt, okay? She was, okay. She was. No, she's nobody famous or anything. Don't worry about it. Tell you what, guys, let's, uh, let's take a listen to the tail end of this track, Heaven Help Me, which features uh, this really cool jam Crosby was referring to. was some good stuff. That was the uh, end of the track Heaven Help Me, which is off the new album Time to Move by today's guest, Crosby Loggins. And, uh, you know, Eddie and I both agreed that this this particular track, Heaven Help Me, was uh, our favorite track or one of our favorite tracks on your new album. But tell us, you know, a little bit about what your favorite tracks are from this album. I mean, either lyrically or musically. I really like everything. 
Yeah. One of my favorite cats. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, just like simple and honest and, and I kind of, it popped out in a cool way. I just mm-hmm. wrote it like in a few minutes and after and stuff. And I still like, uh, I still like, God, I like all the tracks on the record for one reason or other, to be honest. But, um, I, I like Time to Move. I do like Heaven Help Me. It's yeah. a fun track. Mm-hmm. And um, even though I think like it's actually probably the weakest cut on the album, I, I really love playing Radio Heart Live. It's um, a total blast with that just sort of like P. Thomas drum trip and uh-huh. like ripping off Elvis Costello. So that's like a groove I've always wanted to play live. And um, mm-hmm. it's just fun. Just really fun with an electric guitar. <laughs> well, I, I got to ask also: what has your dad had a chance to check out your new album? Oh yeah, he's well, a big fan. Well, is he pleased with the way it turned out? And or did he did yeah. he get did he get involved at all? Did he have any? Uh, was he there tracking with you, or was he there uh, in any any aspect of the production of that album? No, he was not involved at all. In okay, yeah. um, he was cutting. He was working on his own album. Oh, that's true. Um, he's cutting his, uh, his latest children's record with Disney right now. So, um, yeah. no, he wasn't around at all. But, um, yeah, no, he's incredibly supportive. And, I mean, Good. he's been my biggest fan for a long time. But really, in the last couple of years, he's kind of um, stopped interjecting as much. Yeah. Other than just, you know, moments that he likes or whatever. Because he knows I've heard, you know, pretty much all he's got to say. And mm-hmm. at this point, we're just each other's... Uh, you know, I don't know, cheerleaders or something, you know, yeah, right. just kind of cheering each other on. Yeah, and ironically, uh, his new album called All Join In, that's that's due out one week after yours is released. I know, it's yeah. a trip, we were laughing about that. <laughs> kind of cool. So tell me, where do you go from here? I mean, will you be uh, touring in support of this album, and if so, uh, will you go out with a full band? That's my hope. Um, yeah. My band will be a little smaller than last time, um, uh-huh. but I'm probably going to be hitting the road in the fall. I'm going to give this thing a little bit of chance to grow this sure. summer. Sure, and then um, and then hit the road in the fall, September, October, probably, and um, yeah, I'll be out with probably a four or five piece band, and not sure what kind of rooms I'll be playing at, but probably starting with clubs and stuff, and, mm-hmm. and work my way up. There'll be some bigger opportunities along the way, and revisiting radio stations and trying to do some you know on air performances for them and stuff like that. So you definitely see me out and about through the whole country this. Well, Great. cool. Well, maybe uh, Rick and uh, and myself could sneak up on your bus that one evening and and knock on your door, um, just like we did in Muncie, Indiana, <laughs> when you were that playing. Was, with... That was great, Muncie, Indiana. God, what a <laughs> we were me, me and Rick were knocking on the door. We were just dancing outside because we saw you after after your 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 set or whatever. And I think Joe Bonamassa he was he he was playing the stage and we were in the back and and like, okay, is he going to open the door? Hey, uh, Crosby, open the door, man. It's me and Rick, you know. <laughs> and finally, you paid attention and you said, oh yeah. God, Guys, how are you doing, man? Yeah, yes. that was pretty classic. I heard the knocking, and I was like, "Yeah, not now." You know? <laughs> oh no, these, <laughs> these oh, gigs—that <laughs> <laughs> won't happen again, right? Yeah. Oh please! No, no, no we, we want to be welcome. <laughs> well, we look forward to uh, to seeing you on the road. Hope you pass around here, and if not, we'll we'll meet you when you're real close to here. Okay. Right on, man. It's nice to talk to you guys again. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, and good luck with this album. I hope uh, it does really well. And, and uh, again, if you want to visit Crosby's website, I think it's kind of under construction right now, but it's CrosbyLoggins.com. I don't think it's a full site right now, but right. it's coming. And you also have a MySpace and a Facebook presence, right? Exactly. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, both of them, you can just Google for, you know, Crosby Loggins, Facebook, yeah. MySpace, and um, yeah. 
Yeah, I think the new site is going to be up any day. Um, oh, good. I saw Pompa, the community site, just uh, like yesterday, and it's, it looks great. So awesome. it's going to be pretty cool. Keep your eyes on that one. Sure, and think, thanks to uh, Nick Hartley for assisting us in getting this. Yeah, thanks, uh, thanks Nick, for us. you on the books. That's wonderful, and, and we'll be keeping in touch, man. All right, thanks so much, you guys. All right, we'll bye-bye. Bye-bye. Special thanks to Crosby Loggins for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. For more information about Inside Music Cast, check out our website at InsideMusicCast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and MySpace. We'd love to hear from you, and we always take our listeners' input and suggestions into consideration. So drop us an email anytime at input at InsideMusicCast.com. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast. <laughs>